good morning. Welcome back to the Broadcast Retirement Network. I'm Jeff Snyder. This is BRN AM for Wednesday, February 8th, 2023. And our top story today, CalPERS, understanding the complexities of managing a public pension fund in 2023. And joining me now to discuss this and a lot more, Marcy Frost is the Chief Executive Officer of CalPERS. Marcy, it's great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us on the program this morning. Thanks, Jeff. It's so good to see you again. It's been a while. It has been a while. It has been a while. Um, I still have no hair. So uh, <laughs> let's 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 jump in. And, and I thought what we would do is talk about pen, the, the CalPERS plans, um, mm-hmm. but also talk about the, the market environment and also some initiatives you all have. So let's just start with the basics, just for our audience who may, they should be aware because CalPERS is the largest pension plan in the United States, I think 11 globally. But tell us a little bit about CalPERS, the number of members you serve, et cetera. Okay. Yeah. So CalPERS, as you indicated, Jeff, is the largest U.S. public pension plan. We serve about two, you know, 2.15 million members, of which about 670,000 of those are receiving a benefit. Uh, interestingly enough, and I think this might be a topic for us to talk about a bit, is that we have about a half million inactive members in the system as well. So of that 2.15, half Half a million of those are inactive, which means that they have kept their contributions on account, but are no longer working for an active uh, public employer within our system. Uh, We have about 2,800 employees, and we have regional locations around the state where we do more of that direct member servicing and uh, can talk a little bit about what we did during COVID and during the pandemic just to make sure that those service levels remain high for all of our membership, primarily here in California. Yeah, and and in terms of ballpark in terms of the assets you talked about the the members active and both inactive let's talk about um just ballpark with the assets and i know that changes over time but what what are we talking about in terms it of assets does. Uh, we're about 443 billion dollars you know to be a little more specific uh you know at the end of you know, two two fiscal years ago, we we crossed that five hundred billion dollar mark, and then we all saw the market suggest pretty significantly uh, that brought us down to around four hundred and thirty five billion. I think we roughly said, like I said, about four hundred forty five billion dollars as of today, which also represents about a seventy one percent funded uh, ratio. Uh, again, you know, at the time of the assets being high, our funded ratio hit that eighty percent target, of which really moves us out of what I call that that red zone of, you know, where we're very careful, careful about the risks we're taking on. We're very careful about downside risk protection and making sure we have resiliency in the portfolio itself. And so that 80% gave us a little more breathing room to take on more risk, to take on more new innovative uh, investment strategies that also might tie up some of our liquidity. But uh, again, we can talk about the investment allocation. Uh, there's some interesting work happening there. Yeah, let, let's. You, you mentioned COVID, and I just want to give the audience. So we, we've talked to some of your peers in the public pension arena and uh, sphere. Your peers, I'll just say, mm-hmm. and uh, you know that the, there was a core um, competency of keeping the doors and or lights on and making sure that benefits flow. Because you have a, very, as you said, you have a very important role to make sure that you are paying benefits to. Members, you want to talk a little bit about the the COVID strategy? What you all did during COVID? Mm-hmm. We so as the rest of the world saw, you know, Calpers shut down its uh, brick and mortar throughout, you know, all of our locations. 
And we came back uh, basically a year ago in, in March and came back into our hybrid workforce. But we have very creative, innovative uh, team members here who felt the need to find ways to fill that gap in information where we would have members coming into the office, whether they had an appointment or didn't have an appointment. And we had a queuing system and we had you know all this technology to help with the support of our membership. Uh, but what they came up with is taking advantage of the various platforms that really emerged and became really a part of our daily routine. I don't know what we would have done without you know, these virtual platforms, but they found a way to replace that in-person counseling through uh, the Zoom platform. Uh, and so, you know, members as they're contemplating retirement and many members retired during COVID, I, I think that, you know, that decision point, maybe that was something they had considered prior to COVID, but when COVID hit, you know, many of our retirees or many of our active members said, now, now's the time. I've been thinking about this for a while. Now's the time to do that retirement. But they don't want to retire without checking in with their trusted advisors, the people who know how to take full advantage of all of these benefits that they have earned throughout their career. So we needed to find a way to replace that high touch service that typically happens at time of retirement with something that could take place during a pandemic. And this is where that virtual platform came in. And frankly, it has stayed in place. I, I think our members have found it to be convenient. They don't have to get in their car, depending on where they're at in the state of California, that commuting into the office and getting on the interstate can be a very difficult commute, time-consuming. And so I think the virtual platforms will be with us uh, for a very long time, if not forever. And I think we'll likely start to replace more of those in-person appointments. I think we're roughly 60-40 uh, post, you know, now that we've been operating in this new model for a year, we're roughly 60% choosing to make a virtual appointment versus 40% coming into the office. Marcy, let's talk a little bit about uh, 2022, and then we can talk 2023. Uh, you know, you mentioned the pandemic, you mentioned 2020, you mentioned 2021, 2022, <laughs> with, with, for lack of description, volatile, volatility. Um, how did you and the board and all the team, I mean, there's a team of people, as you, you always like to say, that are, that are serving the interests of the members. How do you, how do you manage that market volatility? How do you, how did you see it in 2022? 2022 was a rough year for you know, any, <laughs> for all of us, for, for everyone, us. you know, that CalPERS didn't escape, uh, you know, the market volatility, uh, certainly. And, you know, we have a 350 person investment team and we operate out of Sacramento, California. We don't have, uh, you know, offices on the East coast. We don't have offices around the globe. Our entire team is sitting here, you know, or sitting here in their homes over the last couple of years. Uh, in, in Sacramento, California. So that volatility is is very difficult. It's very difficult for our members uh, to see a negative return, a negative double-digit return again, you know, similar to what we saw in 08, 09. And then what did we learn, you know, past financial crises? What did we learn and how did we apply that learning to the crises that we saw in 2022 and ongoing through 2023? How do we really exploit and take advantage of a very strong liquidity position that the fund is in? And so uh, member communication became paramount. Uh, employee communication during the pandemic became paramount, but member communication to explain, you know, we're long-term investors. There is, you know, a lot of market volatility, but the way that we look at the portfolio is through two different lens, right? right? So one is, how do we grow the portfolio at a 6.8% assumed greater return? How do we grow that in a negative 
return environment? And then how do we make sure that we have resiliency and downside risk protection in the portfolio? Being underfunded, that becomes very, very important as well, that we want to soften you know, some of the bottom, which means we also likely shave off a little bit of the upper returns when the markets are doing extremely well. And that's what we saw in 2021 uh, and 2022 is that that downside risk protection paid us last year, paid us a bit last year, paid even though it was a negative return. And then the year before in the up markets, you know, we did shave off a bit of positive return as well. So I think we, our board continues to, you know, really discuss what's the right mix. We have a newer uh, chief investment officer, Nicole Musico, who came in at the end of March last year. So this March, she'll be here one year, who uh, where the asset allocation of the strategic asset allocation of the board approved was already in place prior to her arrival. But now it's her, you know, it's her job, job number one, to execute on that new asset allocation, which does include more of the portfolio being allocated to these alternatives, more to private equity, more to infrastructure, more to real assets, more to private credit. So we happen to knowing that that strategic asset allocation was in place, we needed to find a CIO as well as the associated team to implement on that very different strategy. For the most part, much of our portfolio sits passively. Uh, we're, you know, we, we hug the benchmarks. And so when the board makes a decision in order to get the building blocks back to a 6.8 return with the level of risk that the board is comfortable with, Finding the right talent at a time that there has been absolutely a war on talent and a very competitive job market to find the people who can execute on those new, more active strategies. But again, positively, the, the fund sits at a very good liquidity position. So we're actually able to fund deals where maybe some of our peers were not able to because they're either at their allocation limits or they're at their liquidity limits or whatever that might be. We actually found a lot of great deals last year, and we're seeing great deals come in this year as well. Marcy, uh, these are very important benefits. And, and you, as you as we're, we're through the first month of of uh, January 2023 through the through 2023, uh, what is what does the the year look like for Calpers? And of course, you can't you don't have a crystal ball. We don't know. We don't know what the Fed's going to do. I mean, we wish we did. Um, but but how do you how do you approach 2023? Mm-hmm. But it's it's a it's a reminder that most pension funds are truly long-term patient capital investors. And we have to be very thoughtful mm-hmm. about decisions that we're making in any given year, that those are decisions that can be sustained through you know numerous market cycles. We're we're certainly not day trading, we're certainly not you know doing much on the active side in public equities yet, although that will certainly be part of the strategy at some point as well. And but really where we're finding opportunities are through the alternative side. So if we think about private markets generally, not just private equity, but private markets generally, upping our co-investment opportunities with strategic partners, partners where we have high conviction. It's, you know, hiring Anton Orlick as someone who we just recently hired to run that team. I have a lot of confidence in him and the work that he's done. He's actually a return. He, he worked at CalPERS for part of his career, so we were able to get him back. So we're very excited about that as well. Um, you know, How do we handle these separately managed accounts? We get a lot of direction from the board that they want to bring more investing in-house. So what does that mean for an institution, a public institution that... Uh, has most of its employees or, in, or all of its employees other than me are civil servants. How do we take care of compensation when then we are competing against 
potentially, you know, other other managers. And so separately managed accounts, co-investments, all added in, doing more in venture capital. We really didn't do much in venture capital. When we did a 10-year look back at the private equity portfolio, we saw a lot of missed opportunities, including opportunities in our own backyard in Silicon Valley. We just missed out on that venture phase. We also, when you compare our portfolio to our peers, as, as you referenced earlier, uh, the allocations um, are, are quite different. Our private equity allocation has always been a bit lower than our peers. And when private equity has done well, and we've seen private equity do extremely well in market cycles, we've really lagged our peers simply because we didn't have as much allocated as they did at the highest performing asset class. Then we also added that 5% to private debt to private credit. And now we're in that process of building out a team where you know the initial strategy is to use external managers, but really the idea is to bring that in-house. We have great underwriting in, you know, on our credit team and whether that's on the fixed income side, but we took someone out of our fixed income team to run it, to run private credit. And now she's in the process of trying to fill out you know, the talent that we need to execute on a 5% allocation of a $445 billion portfolio. And then infrastructure, we think infrastructure is gonna be really interesting. Uh, we led the board through making some policy changes to allow us to do more infrastructure outside of the US. Um, you know, they approved that policy framework as a part of the execution of the new strategic asset allocation. So there's a lot of work happening on the alternative side under Nicole. And then uh, I would say just hiring. We, we've got to hire up for the skill set and the talent to run those more active strategies. And so that's really been the focus of the last six months. And I think will be the focus of this upcoming six months is to get the team in place uh, to execute on what was decided a year ago. Yeah. Uh, well, Marcy, I need to take a very quick break. When we come back, okay. we'll talk about legislative priorities and a lot more. You're going to want to stay tuned right here on BRN AM. Imagine a new television network that will make you richer, healthier, and in control of your financial future. This network is for the policewoman in Nashville, Tennessee, the baker in Dubuque, Iowa, the teacher in Lexington, Kentucky. We want to make the idea of savings and retirement culturally relevant. But what do you see as a defining issue of the midterms? Especially for the smaller businesses. I mean, they are the lifeblood of the American economy. Featuring exclusive interviews, current affairs, and docu-series. 33 yeah. years old, you retired early. The philosophy is money only matters if it helps you live a life that you love. But you gotta start thinking about retirement as soon as you get in. The Broadcast Retirement Network will drive very high engagement with premium partnerships. So this isn't retirement and savings for your parents or grandparents. This is for all Americans. And we're gonna change the way you think about money. Welcome to the next frontier of retirement and savings. This is BRN, the Broadcast Retirement Network.
Are you stuck with a low credit score? A credit report and score that's causing you to be denied credit or pay higher interest rates than others for the same things? Then do what Terrence did and called Credit Repaired for your free credit evaluation to help restore your credit. I started thinking about buying a new house and my score wasn't where I needed it to be. I called and spoke with one of the representatives and we just had a good conversation and I, I liked what he was saying. Just one call for his free credit evaluation was all it took to start back on the track to repairing his credit. I'm seeing the deletions and I'm getting the report, so I know something's being done. It does make a difference to me. All it takes is one call to get started. Credit repair has given me a second chance to have a better credit score. Don't let a low credit score hold you back another day. Do what Terrence did and make the call for your free credit evaluation. Call 800-819-4152. That's 800-819-4152. Again, 800-819-4152. Welcome back. We're joined this morning by Marcy Frost. She's Chief Executive Officer for CalPERS. Marcy, thanks so much for staying with us this morning for segment number two. Thank you again. It's, uh, it's really, it's quite fun, Jeff. I always enjoy catching up with you. Yeah, I appreciate it. And, and look, I am so happy in over a thousand shows, I haven't lost a guest. Yeah, so hopefully <laughs> we, we, we keep it. I, and I mean that um, Congratulations. You know, just in all, in all uh, funniness. Um, Marcy, let's talk about, legis- you know, a lot of around the country, a lot of legislatures are meeting and, and they're having sessions about changes uh, to public policy. What are some of the 2023 legislative priorities that impact or affect CalPERS and its members? Mm-hmm. CalPERS has been a, a you know a real long believer in three forms of capital, right? So we've got the financial capital, which is all the fiduciary responsibility that I have, that our board has, that our investment team has. We've got the human capital side, and then we've got the physical cap- physical capital of all these companies where where we're invested. But what's lacking, and I think what many of um, you know investors have found, you know, the lacking of materiality really in, in understanding how these companies are managing risk related to environmental, whether that's climate, uh, social issues around human capital, employee engagement, and around governance, and how some of these companies, public or private, are governing the business functions. Uh, to ensure that that company is going to be sitting alongside a pension fund because we want them with us. We want long-term returns. We want long-term success for every public company, private company uh, that we're invested in. So one of our legislative priorities continues to be uh, getting transparency uh, that we need to know more about these risks. And we've always looked at ESG through that risk lens. And now we're beginning to see some opportunities where we can invest because we're getting the data, you know, the really empirical data that we need to make investment decisions. And I think sometimes we get, you know, criticized that we're trying to save the planet or we're trying to, you know, that this is just the next political thing for CalPERS. And it's not political for CalPERS. ESG is really fundamental to long-term returns, long-term sustainability for this fund to pay generations to come. And that's Really, why I do this job, you know, I, you know, I come from a very, I come from very humble beginnings. I was raised uh, by my grandparents who, you know, lived at poverty level and really didn't have an employer-sponsored retirement plan. And it really got me interested in, well, how do we create this financial security and financial livelihood for for Americans? And in this job, it happens to be for two million Californians. So, transparency to understand whether we're being compensated for the risks that that we're taking and. We don't think the markets are necessarily pricing those risks appropriately. And so there could be some opportunities for active investing where, you know, once we get the data, we may make an active call on a particular company, whether that bet is on or whether that bet might be off. 
So we'll continue to do that. Um, you know, we also run a healthcare program. We're the second largest purchase, purchaser of uh, public healthcare uh, beyond the federal government. So we'll have some healthcare priorities as well around, you know, pricing and pharmaceuticals and, you know, surprise billings. I, I know we've weighed in pretty, uh, you know, significantly there as well. But I think if, as long as you give us the data, the transparency, and we'll determine whether it's material or not, I don't want the companies determining materiality, but just be transparent, transparent about how you're managing the energy transition, for example, because being a public fund in California, we get the pressures on all ends. We get the pressure to divest. Uh, so that's a little bit of what we're seeing here in California, or legislative bills being proposed right now to have CalPERS and CalSTRS divest from certain types of companies. Uh, for us, getting net zero by 2050, we, we don't believe, or I don't, I, I can talk about my own personal opinion, I don't believe that divestment is the way to get companies to transition from, say, an oil and gas company to an energy company. And likely, it's going to take more capital to make that transition, not less capital. So the political environment around ESG, it, we just have to be careful that ESG just doesn't become the bad word of the day. And that it really is looked at in the way that we've always looked at it, fiduciary duty, managing our risks, long-term capital, compensate us for the risks that we're taking. Yeah. And, and we see a lot of transparency in the public markets, right? I mean, you, 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 the door is open in terms of some of the qualitative and quantitative factors that analysts look at it. It just, to me, makes a lot of sense as well, mm -hmm. that if you're going to walk the walk, you got to talk the talk and open up the... Uh, uh, the, the books just a little bit to, to, sure. so people can make an even better investment decision. Uh, let's talk about emerging managers, ma emerging managers, excuse me, uh, diversity, equity, inclusion. I know this is a big um, initiative for you personally. It's big here on the network. We talk about it regularly. Um, we want to make sure that at least, uh, you know, I'm going to advocate here. We want to make sure that everyone has a fair opportunity to manage money. And, and it, it's really hard to get started as a new network, it's really hard to get started when you're playing with the, uh, the the big people out there, the big companies. So what about emerging managers? Where does where does that stand for CalPERS? Time, uh, you know, and, and, and I think one of the, some of the lessons that we've learned over time is the, the fees really matter. And so finding partners to work with us that, you know, can help manage the fees, especially on the public equity side. And so that was a little bit of lessons learned. Uh, but we've just launched a new platform along with uh, TBG and Grosvenor as uh, being managers who are helping us to initiate uh, a new emerging and diverse manager program. And, and really, it's fundamentally what you just said, Jeff. It's the belief that there isn't a single type of investor that's going to make money. And a lot of the opportunities, you know, for an institutional sized fund for CalPERS to work directly with, it's a certain type of fund. It's a certain type of manager that's been in business for 20, 30, 40 years, if it's, you know, if it's private equity as, as an example. So we believe there's a complete untapped market that people have not been given opportunities. We think that this is a market where, you know, we have a group of managers who really want to prove prove themselves and prove what they can do and prove that they can outperform or equally perform to that single type. And that's probably the best way for me to describe it for the single type of manager. So we have just allocated a billion dollars to this platform and we're hoping other allocators see it the same way that we do. We'll be doing our diversity uh, forum in June and Nicole, our CIO, will be inviting other allocators to, you know, to do the same thing that 
this is really a market that if you think about most of the markets being so efficient and normalized and you know private equity has this wide dispersion of returns but it is not inclusive of a very large community of people who are hungry to perform, hungry to show you what they can do. And we want to tap into that potential. We think it's going to be necessary for us to get to that 6.8%. That the way that, you know, historically we've we've done business cannot be the way that the next 10 years look. So this is really a 10-year play. And we, you know, absolutely have conviction, whether that's fiduciary conviction or just personal conviction, that this platform is going to pay us really well. Marcy, last last question. And I have to bring um, I want to bring up Defined contribution because it's not uh, it's not the devil. It, a lot of a lot of uh, public plans have defined contribution plans that are part of the retirement um, plan. Could you talk a little about how the 457 interrelates with the pension plan and and uh, talk a little about that and how you operate that as a as, as a supplement or a complement to mm -hmm. what you're offering members today. Yeah, and I like your comment that, you know, DC plans are not the devil, but the devil is in the design, <laughs> right? It's in the design of the plan. Yeah. And as you know, I came out of the, the Washington state retirement system and there's a hybrid plan up there, but even on the hybrid plan where the contributions made by the member are being invested, you know, based on an investment lineup that's approved by the state investment board up there, they still have the ability to annuitize their account balance if they choose. It's not required, it's not compulsory, but if they choose to, to do that, they can create it into a full defined benefit plan. So it's all, all in the design. But the way that I've looked at 457 plans or 403B plans, it, it's that third part of your retirement that for many people, their retirement income, their defined benefit plan is not going to keep them in the lifestyle that they want to have in retirement. So whether that's 70% of your final average salary, 80% of your average salary, whatever that might be, that may not be sufficient, even when you include Social Security, if you're eligible to receive and have paid into Social Security. So I always talk about the 457 plan as being, it's the saving side of your retirement, but it, there's no more efficient way to save for retirement than through a government-sponsored 457 plan. Fees tend to be low. The investment options are being monitored by professionals. You can hire additional professional help on your account if you choose to. We run one here. The California Human Resources Department runs the one for the state employees. We run one for local government employees. And so I think, you know, just in managing that, we've got to be careful of fees, that fees really do matter. We should have professionally managed accounts only if someone chooses to do them and have an investment lineup that allows people to accumulate a savings that will complement, as you say, complement their retirement. Yeah. And I, I completely agree. I mean, I think a lot of people see it, see the DC plan as, hey, that is a bad thing. But I think, uh, you know, a lot of public plans, that, that pension benefit is so important. And you have to think of the, 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 the governmental workforce is very different than a private sector workforce. I mean, in, in terms of some of these jobs where there's police, firefighters, emergency personnel, uh, administrators, I mean, they come to serve the the public for the greater good, and you need them, and you need to attract people. So, I mean, these benefits are so important, but having the DC plan, as you said, as a savings tool, wow, I mean, it's just amazing. And if, and if your state allows for Social Security, um, that's, just, that's just another win. Marcy, we're going to have to leave it there. Always great catching up with you, and we look forward to having you back on the program again very soon. Thank you, Jeff. I look forward to that as well. And that wraps up this episode of BRNAM. Have a topic of interest, someone you think we should talk to, 
drop us a line. And don't forget, for all the latest curated news in lifestyle, wellness, finance, tech, so much more, all in one place. That's right, one place. Check out today's edition of our daily newsletter, The Morning Pulse. Want to search our archives, check out our latest content? Well, visit our website and, of course, our over 300 streaming partners. We're back again tomorrow for another edition of BRN AM. Until then, I'm Jeff Snyder. Stay safe, keep on saving, and don't forget, roll with the changes. Now is your opportunity to co-create content around any topic on the first lifestyle and wellness network. Reach a global audience through our platform and co-own exclusive branded content. All of our programs are available on demand and also as audio-only podcasts so you can take us on the go. Broadcast Retirement Network, available anytime, anywhere, and on any device. Tax audits, tax liens, wage garnishments. Every day we hear stories like this about good folks who are simply struggling to pay their bills. Each of them are living a frightening IRS tax nightmare and they are afraid it will destroy their lives. I'm a divorced single mom and my ex-husband left me and the kids with a lot of unpaid bills, including unpaid taxes. I was really starting to show my stress on my kids because the IRS had sent me a letter demanding a huge payment from me. I couldn't afford it. So then the IRS was threatening to garnish my wages. I'm already living paycheck to paycheck. That would have put me over the edge financially. It truly seemed hopeless, but then a friend at work told her to call the tax relief line. The people at the tax relief line, they told me about something called innocent spouse relief. They worked it out so that all of the taxes from my ex are not my problem. I don't know how that works and, and I don't care. All I care about is that I don't owe the IRS a dime and they are not going to take my paycheck. Even if it seems hopeless, you should call the number on your screen right now. There is absolutely no cost for the call or the consultation. You are under no obligation. If you are worried that the IRS could garnish your wages, seize your assets, even take your home, call us right now. The tax relief line is here to help you. Now you have a knowledgeable, professional team of tax experts that are ready to negotiate with the IRS and fight for you to save you money. The tax relief line's professionals have successfully negotiated thousands of cases, reducing and sometimes even eliminating the tax debt for their clients. It's very easy to get started. Simply call the number on your screen right now. You don't have to live in fear anymore. The call and the consultation are free. 